Okay, I'm glad to see everybody here. And this week is the last Parsha of Reshit. But what I want to do tonight is kind of go back a little bit because we missed last week. So I want to go back and do things in a little bit of a different way. I want us to get the Parsha from um, a Midrash called Tanhuma. Now, Midrash Tanhuma is a very special Midrash. It's very colorful. But Tanhuma is, is related to the word Menucha, or a word that should be familiar to you by now, or a name rather, Menachem. Menachem was the name of... Does anybody remember? It was the name of Noah. And so you have Nuenchet, which means rest or comfort, in the word Menachem, in the name Menachem, in the word Menucha, and in the, the word Tanhuma. So this is a um, it, it's of comfort. It's a midrash of comfort. The word means comfort, and it's especially significant to me because some years ago, when I was in Jerusalem, um, I had gotten a particularly disturbing diagnosis. It was last time I had to go through something like that, Baruch Hashem. But it was particularly disturbing. And so after I left the clinic, I went straight to the bookstore. <laughs> and I bought this book of Midrash Tanhuma. And I was talking to my teacher about what had happened, uh, what the diagnosis had been, what they were afraid it was anyway, and how I had gone to the bookstore and I had bought Midrash Tanhuma. And he said to me, sometimes Hashem sends us messages and they come in the form of a book. And so I felt very comforted by that by that little message that he gave me. And I have a special attachment to this Midrash, this particular um, set of Midrashim. So when we, we did not talk about, because we left off, the actual confrontation between Yosef and Yehuda. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight and then we're going to go into the last days of Yaakov. So the so we're picking up in last week's Parsha the Yagash. And this is the um, the confrontation between Yosef and Yehuda. So, this is found in the very first verse is the 44th chapter and the 18th verse. And so all of this commentary is going to be on the phrase, then Yehuda came near him. This is Vilyagash. He met 
So, Rav Yahshua, the son of Nehemiah, posed the query, Who can prevail over an ox? Only a lion. Since Yosef was an ox, as it said, his first link, Bullock, majesty is his, in Devarim 33.17, and Yehuda was a lion, as it is said, Yehuda is a lion's wealth, in Bereshit 49.9, who confronted the ox, the lion, Yehuda, as it is said, then Yehuda came near him. Rav Yehuda explained that whenever Yehuda's anger increased, two hairs would protrude from his heart and pierce his garments. When he wished to intensify his anger, he would place his ma- in his mouth a copper coin as large as a bean, which he always carried in his money purse and was grind his teeth on it. Then his anger would become intense. Why was he angry? He's confronting Yosef. Why? Because Yosef has taken Binyami. And Yehuda has given himself as a surety for Binyami. And he's taking this very seriously. And this is the whole point. Yosef wants to see. Are you going to care about this brother? Are you going to step forward? Are you going to be the leader? Are you going to be the king that you are meant to be? So he pushes him. And we have to understand something here. Yosef and Yehuda represent these two aspects of the spherot, of the um, attributes of Hashem. Yosef is above Yehuda. He represents the aspect called Yesod, which is foundation. And into this, all of the, all of the energy from above, all of the life force, everything, the light from above, flows down and it is collected in this receptacle of Yesod, or foundation. And it's held there unless he releases it into Malchut. Malchut means kingship. Malhut has nothing on its own unless Yesod releases it down into Malhut. And then it slows down all of the uh, heavenly energy, all of the life force energy from above flows down. And this is represented through Yosef and Yehuda. Yosef was very, very important in order to empower Yehuda to become the king that he was destined to be. It was in his hands whether the brothers were going to become the tribe, whether, and it was all dependent upon his forgiving them. It was all in his hands. They would either become the tribes of Israel, or they would be discarded. Their destiny was to be the tribe, but it was all in Yosef's hands. And so this was why this confrontation between Yosef and Yehuda was so direly important to the history of the Jewish people and to the world. Because Yehuda is not only the uh, forerunner of the kings of, of uh, Israel, but he is also the forerunner of Mashiach, the, the line through which the soul of Mashiach will come into the world. So observe how powerful 
Yahuda was. It is written concerning him, The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. The wrath of a king refers to Yehuda, and the wise man will pacify it alludes to Yosef. As it is said, there are none so discreet and wise as thou. In Breshit 41.39 When Yosef realized that Yehuda's anger was mounting, he said, Now Egypt will be destroyed. And we're going to see in a little while through the Midrash how correct he was. Rav Shimon, son of Lachish, stated, To what may this situation be compared? To two who are wrestling. When one of them realizes he is about to defeat it, to be defeated, he says to himself, He is going to defeat me, and I will be disgraced in the sight of all. What does he do? He kisses his opponent's hand, and the anger of the stronger wrestler is assuaged. Similarly, when Yosef saw that Yehuda's anger was mounting, he was afraid that he would be humiliated before the Egyptians. And so he called out immediately, I am Yosef, your brother. And that is in Breshit 45.4. Now, think about another time when we, when we hear about two brothers wrestling. Now, one is evil and one is good. It's Yaakov and Esau. But here these two brothers are wrestling and they're confronting each other and they're both righteous men. It's not one is going to defeat the other. It's not one is going to triumph and the other is going to be pushed down. It's not that. This kind of wrestling is for Yehuda to actually be lifted up. It's so unique that this confrontation is in order not for Yehuda to be defeated, but for Yehuda to be exalted. And that's why Yosef is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and saying, Come on! Let what's really in you come out. Let's see what's in there. And that's what Yosef is pushing Yehuda. And Yehuda has to be the king. Scripture states elsewhere in reference to this verse, And the envy of Ephraim shall depart. And this is in Isaiah 11:13. Concerning whom did Isaiah utter this verse? He said it with reference to Yehuda and Yosef. Rav Shmuel, son of Nachman, said in the name of Rav Yonatan that while Yosef and Yehuda were quarreling, the ministering angels called out, Come, let us descend to Egypt and watch the ox and the lion attack each other. So even the angels in the heavenly courts were, were watching this was going to set the stage. This was going to decide history. Normally an ox fears a lion, but in this instance, the ox and the lion confronted each other. Jealousy will exit between them, will exist between them, sorry, until the Mashiach comes. Therefore, scripture states, and the envy of Ephraim shall depart. Wisdom is a stronghold to the wise man, more than ten rulers that are in a city. And that's in Ecclesiastes 7.19. This verse refers to the wisdom of Yosef. In what way 
Did Yosef reveal his wisdom? In that he did not desire to fight with his brother. In fact, when he beheld the ten powerful men standing before him, any one of whom could destroy ten cities, he was terrified. His wisdom alone saved him. As it is said, wisdom is a stronghold to the wise. What did Yosef do? First, he stationed watchmen at each of the gates. As described in the portion, at the end of two full years, in Breshik 41.1. Then, and you remember this, he seized Shimon and bound him, for it was Shimon who had hurled him into the pit. Shimon and Levi, remember, wanted to kill him. Furthermore, he wanted to separate him from Levi, lest they conspire together to kill him, even now. Shimon cried out to his brothers, You are permitting this to happen to your brother, Yosef, and you are permitting the same thing to happen to me. What can we do, they asked. Our people will die of hunger if we resist. Do whatever you wish, he shouted, but I challenge anyone to imprison me. Then Yosef sent a message to Paro, saying, Send me seventy of your most powerful men, for I have apprehended some highwaymen and wish to put them in chains. He sent them all at once. Yosef's brothers understood what he intended to do. Yosef told the powerful men, Carry this man into prison and bind his feet in chains. As they were watching or approaching him, Shimon let forth a roar. And when they heard the sound, they fell to the ground, and their teeth chattered. The lion roared, and the fierce lion howled, yet the teeth of the young lions are broken. And that's in Job 4.10. Manasseh, Yosef's son, was sitting at his side at the time. His father turned to him and said, Arise, you must do it. Manasseh arose at once, struck a single blow, dragged Shimon into prison and put him into chains. Whereupon Shimon called to his brothers, Would you say that this was a blow of an Egyptian? It is none other than a blow of one of our own father's house. When Yosef's brothers saw it, that Shimon was able to, uh, Manasseh was able to drag Shimon into prison and bind him with chains, they became terrified. And here is where we understand that the martial arts of the East were actually practiced by the family of Yaakov. That they were, and there is actually a, uh, a man now called the Abir in Israel who has reinstituted this. And, and some of the positions are in the form of the Hebrew letters. That this these martial arts originated with the family of Yaakov. So, when the brothers saw that Manasseh was able to do this, they were like, Hey, who is this guy? And how is he able to do this? This is ours. This is our secret. Nobody around knows how to do this. No Egyptian could do this. And it made them think. And they returned to their father and then brought Binyamin with them and stood before Yosef. Yosef asked, Is this your youngest brother to whom you have referred? They replied, Yes. Yosef said to Binyamin, Do you have children? Yes, I have ten, he answered. 
What are their names? asked Yosef. Bela, Bechar, Ashbel, etc. Who ever heard of such names? asked Yosef. I have called all of them by these names because of my brother, the son of my mother. Bela, because he was swallowed up among the Gentiles. Bechar, because he was the firstborn. Ashbel, because he was taken captive. Gera, because he became a stranger, a gare. Naamah, because he was gentle. Ahi, because he's my brother, my mother's son. Rosh, because he was my superior. Mupim, because he was exceedingly handsome and fair. Hupim, because he did not see my marriage canopy, and I did not see his. Erod, because he went into exile while his countenance was still like a rose bloom, like varied. From the day my brother Yosef disappeared, my father forsook his bed and sat and slept only on the ground. Furthermore, whenever I saw my brother sitting side by side while I was forced to sit alone, my eyes welled up with tears. At that moment, Yosef's compassion toward him was stirred, as it is said, and Yosef made haste, for his heart yearned for his brother. Rav Nachman, the son of Yitzhak, explains, He then arranged a banquet for them, at which he decided to have Binyamin sit at his side, but he did not know at first how to accomplish it. Whereupon he took the goblet, struck it, and said to them, I was of the opinion that Yehuda was the firstborn, since he was the first to speak. But now I discover that Ruvain is the firstborn, and that Yehuda is simply a gregarious individual. And he sat Ruvain at the head of the table. Then he took the goblet once again and struck it, and told Shimon, Sit alongside of him, for you are the second son. He likewise seated Levi, Yehuda, and the rest according to their ages. Then he took the goblet once again and struck it, and declared, I have discovered through this cup that you are all the sons of one father, but that your father had a number of wives. He then told Dan and Naphtali to be seated according to their ages. At last, only Benjamin remained unseated. I see that this one had a brother from whom he is separated, that he is an orphan that his mother, Rachel, was dead. I too have had a brother from whom I am separated. He is an orphan, and I too am an orphan. Let him come and sit beside me. And they sat him at his side, as scriptures say, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And portions were taken unto them from before him, but to Binyamin he gave his portion. At first, Yosef gave each of them, according, including Binyamin, a single portion of food. Then he gave his portion to him, and Asnat gave her portion, gave it to Binyamin, and Ephraim and Manasseh likewise took their portions and gave them to Binyamin. That is how Binyamin obtained five portions in all, as it is said. But Binyamin's portion was five times so much as any of the others. And here's another comment on this. 
Yehuda drew near to him. So we're getting a background of what has happened up until now through the Midrash and as in its building to the confrontation. He came near him and said huskily, Oh, my Lord, do not transgress the laws of justice because of us. Let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. Brashit the forty-four, eighteen. It would have been more fitting if he had said, In the presence of my Lord. Hence these words teach us that he spoke both harshly and gently. For thou art even as Paro, your master Paro loved women and wanted to possess them, so you have longed to have Binyamin as your servant when you saw how handsome he was. So he is accusing Yosef here of being perverted in the same way as Paro was who took Sarah from her husband. And so now he's, he's accusing Bin, uh, Yosef of something even more perverse. Another comment on, For thou art even as Paro, just as you and Paro are highly esteemed where you reside, so we are highly esteemed where we dwell. My Lord asked his servants, that is, he said to him, From the very outset you practice subterfuge toward us. Men have come to Egypt from numerous provinces to purchase grain, but you do not ask them, Perhaps you have come to marry our daughters, or maybe you want to wed our sisters. Nevertheless, we withheld nothing from you. Yosef retorted, Why do I speak in be- why do you speak in behalf of all your brothers? I have discovered through this cup that you have older brothers, and yet you indeed are a garrulous creature. Yehuda spoke. What do you what you see is correct? But I am compelled to speak because I pledged myself as a surety for my brother. Then why were you not a surety for your brother when you sold him to the Midianites for twenty pieces of silver? And why did you distress your father by telling him, Yosef is without doubt torn to pieces? Yosef, did you know evil? But this one sinned in stealing the goblet. Go tell your father. The rope has followed after the bucket. That Binyamin is suffering the same fate as Yosef. When Yehuda heard this, he cried out bitterly in a loud voice, How can I go to my father if the lad be not with me, lest, lest I look upon the evil that shall come upon my father? Whereupon Yosef said, Come, let us consider the matter between us. Tell me what you think and present your arguments. Yehuda said forthwith to Naphtali, Go, and count the number of central markets in Egypt. He hurried away, and on his return informed Yehuda that there were twelve markets in Egypt. Yehuda told his brothers, I will destroy three of them, and each of you will destroy another. Do not permit a single soul to survive. His brother retorted, Yehuda, Egypt is not Shem. If you are able to devastate Egypt, you would destroy the entire world by doing that. From that moment on, Yosef was no longer able to restrain himself. 
Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Nachman, remarked, Ben Yosef placed himself in an extremely precarious position, for if his brothers had killed him, not a single person would have been aware of it. Why did he say, Cause every man to go out from me? In Bereshit 45.1 Yosef had said to himself, I would rather die than shame my brothers before the Egyptians. Yehuda railed at Yosef, you know that from the very beginning you brought false charges against us. First you said to us, You are spies. Then you charged, You have come to see the nakedness of the city. And finally you declared, You have stolen my cup. I swear by the life of my righteous father, and you may swear by the life of the wicked Paro, that if I should draw my sword from his sheath, I will fill the Egypt with corpses. Draw your sword from its sheath, Yosef retorted, and I will wrap it around your neck. Yehuda replied, If I open my mouth, I will consume you. And if you open your mouth, I will stuff it with a stone, Yosef retorted. Then Yehuda asked Yosef, What shall we tell our father? Tell your father, Yosef told him, that the rope has followed the bucket. Yehuda said to him, You have judged falsely. Yehuda replied, Yosef replied, Did you not judge your brother falsely when you sold him? Yehuda answered, The fire of Shem burns in my heart. And Yosef said, I will extinguish the fire that burns within you for your daughter-in-law Tamar. I am consumed by anger and no one believes me, cried Yehuda. And Yosef retorted, I will break your anger. I shall go out, said Yehuda, and dye the marketplaces of Egypt in blood. All your life, replied Yosef, you have been dying things in blood, even as you and your brothers dyed your brother's coat of many colors in blood. And then you told your father, Yosef is without doubt torn to pieces. When Yosef realized that they had agreed to destroy Egypt, he said to himself, It is better to make myself known to them than to risk the destruction of Egypt. And he said to them, You said, did you not, that this one's brother is dead? In fact, I have purchased him. I will summon him and he will come to you. He began to call out, Yosef, Ben Yaakov, Come to me, Yosef, son of Yaakov, come to me. Speak to your brothers who sold you. They stared in every corner of the house until Yosef said to them, Why do you look all around? I am your brother Yosef. And they all fainted at once, unable to reply. Rav Yochanan declares, Woe unto us on judgment day. Woe unto us on the day of rebuke. For if Yosef could cause them to faint by saying, I am your brother Yosef, what will happen when the Holy One, blessed be he, rises to judge us since it is written about him? Who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? Malachi 3, 2. And for no man shall see me and live. In Shemot 3, 20. If a mere human could confound his brothers, how much more so 
will we be confounded when the Holy One, blessed be He, examines us concerning our arrogance toward the commandments and our transgressions of the Torah. Then the Holy One, blessed be He, performed a miracle by restoring their souls to them. Yosef said, Behold your eyes see and the eyes of my brother. Binyamin, that is my mouth that speaketh unto you. For I am speaking to you in Hebrew. They would not believe him until he bared his body and showed them the sign of the covenant, his circumcision. Why was all this necessary? When he was sold into slavery and left them, he did not possess any signs of maturity, but now he stood before them like a king with a mark of maturity upon him, his beard. When at last they recognized him, they sought to kill him. An angel descended and scattered them to the four corners of the room. At that moment, Yehuda screamed so loud that all the walls of Egypt tumbled. All the animals of Egypt gave birth prematurely, and Yosef and Paro tumbled from their thrones. Their teeth fell out, and the heads of powerful men standing at Yosef's side were reversed and remained so until their deaths. As it is said, the lion roareth, and the fierce lion howleth, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. Hence, scripture says, the voice thereof was heard in Paro's house. Embrace sheet 45.16 The voice here refers to the voice of Yehuda, as it says here, Lord, the voice of Yehuda. In Varim 33.7 When Yosef saw that they were completely embarrassed, he said to them, Come near me, I pray you. As each of them approached, he kissed them and wept with him. When he said, And I kissed, and he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. Just as Yosef comforted his brothers while they were weeping, so the Holy One, blessed be he, will redeem Israel while she weeps. As it is said, They shall come with weeping, with supplications, will I lead them and I will cause them to walk by rivers of waters in the straight way wherein they shall not stumble in Jeremiah 31 9 so this is the um, the story of the confrontation and then of course he sent down wagons to the uh, to bring his father and excuse me And when he brought down wagons to bring his father, is it's interesting that it's the word for wagons, Agalot, that um, <clears throat> told his father that that it was Yosef because it was connected to the portion of the Torah that Yosef supposedly was was supposed to have been studying at the time of the the breaking of the neck of the uh of the calf let me find this when he was um before he left it was the one that he was studying just before he left was sold and so his father knew that he was really alive that was one thing and there's more about how his father knew and how the brothers broke it to him it was actually not the brothers themselves but it was Sarah Bat Asher who broke the news to him. 
And I'm going to go into that in more detail when we talk about the, the finding of the, of the coffin of Yosef uh, in the days of Moshe. Now, there's some, I, I want to skip ahead now to the next Parsha, which is the Parsha that is this week's Parsha, but I didn't want to leave behind what we had, you know, last week we did not meet, and so we, I wanted to kind of catch up with that, and you can see all of the drama, and you can see how much the Midrash brings into um, this, how much richness that it brings into it, of the oral Torah that gives you this understanding of what you what you are reading in the written Torah. So they came down to Egypt, and Yaakov lived for 17 years in Egypt. Now I found this very interesting because how old was Yosef when they sold him to Egypt? Anybody? Does that, can everybody hear me? He was 17, that's right. And so it's very interesting that he, um, Yaakov had Yosef for his first 17 years, and then when he went to Egypt, he had he was with him for 17 more years. That it was a matching of the 17 and the 17 that he spent with Yosef. Now, when Yaakov understood that he was ready to die after these 17 years, <clears throat> he sent for you for Yosef. So why did he send for Yosef and not for Ruvain or Yehuda? After all, Ruvain was the firstborn, and Yehuda was to be the king. Now he ignored them and called Yosef instead, and the reason was because Yosef at that time in that place was a ruler. And so this teaches us to give homage to the person who was in power at that moment. And so this was what Yaakov did. But there was more to it than that. Because Yosef had the power to fulfill his wishes. Yosef was the one in authority. And he had the power to fulfill Yaakov's last wishes. Which is something that the other brothers, of course, could not do. So he said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, bury me not. I pray you, in Egypt. And this is in Breshit 47.29. For it was for your sake I descended to Egypt, and it's because of you that I say, now let me die. Even the soul of a man who dies on shipboard joins his fathers. And so when I sleep with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and take me to a burying place the burying place that he had prepared. And this was, of course, Machpelah. So this was the cherished burying place, burial place, that was prepared for um, for Yaakov. Now, it's very interesting. Just a moment, I have to 
find another book. It's very interesting how he puts this. He says, it's, um, deal kindly and truly with me. So, in the Psalms, it's very interesting how uh, this is carried forward in the Psalms, this idea of kindness and truth. Kindness and truth have come together. Justice and peace have kissed each other. And truth will sprout out of the earth and justice from heaven. But there is another place here as well that I want us to look at how these two go together. Kindness and truth that, that Yaakov is imploring of, <coughs> of Yosef to deal with him in kindness and truth. Kindness and truth go before your countenance. So, the foundation of the, of the throne of Hashem is justice and judgment. But kindness and truth go before his countenance. It's a very important um, thought that um, Yaakov is invoking here when he implores Yosef to deal with him in kindness and truth. Deal kindly and truly with me. This is in the 47th chapter and the 29th verse. He is asking him to deal with him in a favorable way, in the same manner as Hashem. He's asking him to deal with him with the same type of words that later is used in the Psalms to talk about the favorable countenance of Hashem. And this is how he's asking him. The king, basically a king, not Paro, but you know, a king nevertheless in Egypt, to deal with him in the way similar to take an example of the way that the king of all the universe would deal with him in favor. But there is another reason that he did not, well, one of the reasons that he was saying this about dealing with him in kindness and truth was because he knew that the plagues were going to come to Egypt and he did not want to be swarmed by the vermin. But there is another explanation. And I think that the other explanation is prob probably more true. And it's something that we need to really think about. Yaakov did not want to be buried in Egypt because he was afraid the Egyptians would use him as an object of idolatrous worship. And just as there is a punishment for the worshiper of an idol, and this is very important for us to understand, it is also extracted from the idol. So if a person is deified and worshipped as a god, understand this very, very clearly, that that person's soul is also going to be punished for that. And this is what Yaakov is saying that he doesn't want to be buried in Egypt where they deified everything that they admired. So he he's concerned not only for the people, but he's also concerned for himself. And here is one of the places that we find this principle that those idols 
are also punished. Now we see this in Exodus when the people of Israel come out of Egypt that it says, and against the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. That Hashem was going to not only punish the Egyptians but he was executing judgment against those things, those those images, not just images, but the spirits, the spirit beings that those images represented. Understand this. So, when we, and, and it happens, and there were, were many times where different kings decided that they were going to be God kings, like Pharaoh, the Pharaoh himself, would decide that they were the incarnation of a God on earth. That person is punished for that. Every time people would worship Hen instead of Hashem, every time they would pray to Him rather than Hashem, His soul was going to be punished for that. It was, it was being like piled upon His head that He would be punished for this. And this is one of the sources where we get this understanding of this principle. Now, I, I think this is real important for us to really connect with. And maybe you might have a question about this. Okay. So, this was a fear of Yaakov. And we see this in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar uh, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer, uh, make offerings and, and incense to him. This is in Daniel 2.46. That's after Daniel was able to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Not only interpret it, but tell him what it was in the first place. And Daniel would not allow this. Why not? For just as the idolaters would have been punished, so would he. So we find this illustrated. Also, we find another illustration about Hiram, the king of Tyre that he proclaimed himself a god. And then in the book of Ezekiel, it says, Because thy heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a god. And this is in Ezekiel 38.2. It's absolutely right, Debbie. It is a form of blasphemy. And the object of that worship is also punished. And this is where we really, and we see it here in Ezekiel 28.2. Uh, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, Art thou wiser than Daniel? When Nebuchadnezzar decreed that offerings should be brought to him, he, Daniel, would not permit it. Yet you call yourself a god, and so it is written, I have cast thee to the ground, I have laid thee before kings, that, thou mayst, that they may gaze upon thee. So he's talking about how he threw this um, idolatrous person Nebuchadnezzar to the ground and another example is that perhaps Yaakov said the Egyptians would be redeemed through me 
They are compared to donkeys, asses. As it is said, whose flesh is the flesh of asses. And I am likened to a sheep. Therefore it is said, Israel is a scattered sheep in Jeremiah 50:17. Now elsewhere it talks about um, there is a tractate that says exactly that, Alan and Eileen. Elsewhere there is a passage that says in the Torah, the firstling of thy ass shall redeem with a sheep. So, because you cannot sacrifice an unclean animal, so the firstborn of the donkeys were redeemed with a sheep. And that's in Exodus 34:20. Hence, he said, do not bury me in Egypt. He did not want to be the vehicle through which the Egyptians would be um, redeemed. Why were the patriarchs anxious to be buried in the land of Israel? Rav Eliezer says, there is a reason for this. Rav Haninia said, there is a reason for this. And Rav Yeshua, son of Levi, said, There is a reason for this. What do they mean, there is a reason for this? It is written, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living, in Psalm 116.9. However, our sages said in the name of Rav Helbo that there are two reasons why the patriarchs long to be buried in the land of Israel. The dead in the land of Israel will be the first to be resurrected in the Messianic age. So they will be the first to enjoy the years brought by Mashiach. And Rav Hinnia said, Whoever dies outside the land of Israel and is buried there experiences two deaths because it is death of exile and the actual death. So Yaakov said, Bury me not in Egypt. All of these are explanations of this. So here comes another little piece of um, Jewish information that you might... It's kind of interesting. What happens then if a righteous person dies outside the land of Israel and is buried outside the land of Israel as there are many righteous people buried outside the land of Israel? Do they suffer because of this? What does the Holy One, blessed be He, do? He constructs subterranean passages through which they revolve until they reach the land of Israel. And so you may have heard of this. I don't know, maybe, how they will roll under the ground until they reach the land of Israel. When they reach the land... The Holy One, blessed be He, instills within them the breath of life. And they rise, as it is said, Behold, I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. That's in Ezekiel 37.12. And after that, it is written, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Now, one of the other things, and we're going to get to this, but one of the other things is that the patriarchs are not considered dead. They're considered living. 
Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, son of Lakish, said, in the following verse, teaches explicitly that when the righteous reach the land of Israel, the Holy One, blessed be He, instills the breath of life in them. In them. He that gives breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walketh therein. Rabbi Yehuda the prince and Rav Eliezer were strolling outside the gates of Tiberias and saw a coffin being born for burial in the land of Israel. And Rabbi said to Rav Eliezer, How does this one who died outside the land benefit from being brought into the land of Israel for burial? I will apply to him the verse, he made my heritage an abomination in Jeremiah 2.7 During your lifetime you did not go up to the land but when you entered you defiled my land. Rav Eliezer replied Since he is now to be buried in the land of Israel the Holy One, blessed be he, will forgive him as it is said The land maketh atonement for his people. Well, the Arabs' tunnels are different from these tunnels. (laughs) So we're going to um, skip down a little bit and um, so Yaakov had Yosef swear to him that he would not bury him in Egypt. He had him swear to him that he would take him to Machpelah, to the land of Israel. Now let me see here. But one of the things that Yaakov had been afraid of was that in his absence Esau, the wicked Esau would decide that he was going to claim Machpelah for himself. So he had said to Esau it said perhaps the wicked Esau will be buried in the cave of the righteous one. What did he do? He piled up all his gold and silver possessions into a, a huge heap, a single heap and said to Esau, which do you prefer this heap or the cave? Asaph chose the heap. Yaakov took the cave. So there was actually a bill of sale between Asaph and Yaakov that the, that the Machpelah belonged to Yaakov. Later on, Asaph tried to renege on this agreement and he tried to make a war with Yosef and his brothers when they had come to bury Yaakov. But there was this agreement, and Yaakov, very, very forthright, had given to Esau, given Esau a choice, and Esau chose, of course, the money. Now it's very interesting that if he had chosen the cave, that he would have been buried beside who? Who was he? Who was buried there already? Think about it. Who was buried there? Who would Asaph have been buried next to if he had chosen the cave? 
Yes, that's true. But it was... I see Alan and Eileen are writing something. Adam and Eve, that's true too. But Asab would have been buried next to Leah because she was the wife of Yaakov who was already buried in the cave. And interestingly, Leah had been um, promised. It was understood that she was going to be married to Asab. And then we know the whole thing that happened that she was substituted and that she had cried and cried that she didn't want to be uh, married to Asaph. And so here was Yaakov protecting her at this time in death where she could not do anything. And Yaakov is seeing to it. It's not just for his sake. It's not. He's also that he's going to be laid to rest next to Leah. And that Asaph is not... So that's another thing to think about. So, they came to Yosef and they told him, Behold, our father is sick. Our sages of blessed memory maintain that this was Ephraim who revealed this to him, for he was studying law with Yaakov all the time. And why does scripture add the words, And Israel strengthened himself and sat up in his bed? That's in verse 2. He said to himself, even though he is my son, he is a ruler, and I must be respectful toward him. And Yaakov said to Yosef, God Almighty appeared and said to me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And this is in verse 4. And this was the first time he included Yosef's sons among the tribes. As it is said, Ephraim and Manasseh even as Reuven and Shimon shall be mine, in verse 5. And Israel beheld Yosef's sons and said, Who are these? So we wonder how is it that he had known them all this time, and all of a sudden he says, Who are these? How is it possible? He didn't recognize them. Had he not sat and studied with them every day? Now he's saying, Who are these? Even though they had ministered to him during these 17 years, that he resided in Egypt. Did he actually not recognize them? The fact is that he foresaw that Yeroboam bin Nebat and Ahab, son of Omri, would descend from Ephraim and they would become idolaters. That Yeroboam made the two calves of gold and placed one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And Ahab married the Phoenician princess, Isabel, who worshipped, who introduced and forced worship of Baal and Asherah into the northern kingdom. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him in King 16, 1 Kings 16. And it's for this reason that at that moment the Shrina, the Holy Spirit, departed from Yaakov. And he was like, he didn't he, he was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. Because it shocked him when he saw this. When Yosef realized this, he prostrated himself before the Holy One, blessed be he, and pleaded for mercy, saying, Master of the universe, if they are worthy to be blessed, do not turn away and cause me to be turned away today, disgraced. And thereupon, 
the blessed the holy one blessed be he restored the holy spirit to Yaakov and he blessed them whence do we know this from the fact that it is written in Hosea 11:3 and I taught Ephraim to walk taking them by their arms that is I restored the holy spirit to Yaakov for the sake of Ephraim Rav Shmuel son of Nachman said the Holy Spirit forsook Yaakov twice once when he wished to bless Manasseh and Ephraim and again when he was about to reveal the time of redemption and we're going to come to that in a moment and Israel stretched out his hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head in Genesis uh, Breshik 48.14 and he began to bless him with the words let them increase like fish he thus indicated that Ephraim's descendants would be caught like fishes and it's because they couldn't say Shibolet they would say Sibolet in, in Judges uh, 12.6 so they were caught by their uh, mispronunciation of this word when Yosef saw that his father was laying his right hand on the head of Ephraim it displeased him and he held his father's hand to remove it and Yaakov rebuked him saying do you seek to turn away the hand that vanquished the foremost among the angels and this is referring to when he struggled with the angel of Asaph he's saying that this hand turned away the foremost of the angels Rav Yochanan says Yaakov's arms are like the two columns in the bathhouses in Tiberias. And Yosef said unto his father, Not so, my father, only this one is the firstborn. He's talking about is um, Manasseh. And his father refused, saying, I know it, my son, I know it. He knew what he was doing. He foresaw that Gidon would descend from Manasseh, but that his younger brother was more important because Joshua, Yeshua, would descend from him. And he blessed them that day, saying, By thee shall Israel bless, say, God make thee, as Ephraim and Manasseh. In verse 20, he mentioned Ephraim before he mentioned Manasseh. And when was this blessing finally fulfilled? At the time of the consecration of the chiefs. Then Ephraim brought his offering on the seventh day and Manasseh on the eighth in fulfillment of the scripture that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. And that's in Isaiah 44.26. So he called his sons then after uh, the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh the next thing he does is he knows he's dying so he calls his sons to him for them to receive their blessing and he tells them gather yourselves together that I may tell you what will be and this is another time when the Holy Spirit left him because he was getting ready to tell them everything that was going to happen in the end of time He was going to entrust this to his sons, this, um, this piece of information.
okay. So he summoned them and he was going to tell them what was going to transpire in the Messianic age. And then Hashem appeared to him and said, You summon your sons, but you didn't summon me. And thus Isaiah says, Yet thou hast not called me, O Yaakov, neither hast thou wearied thyself about me, O Israel. In Isaiah 43:22. And when Yaakov saw him, he began to tell his sons, I implore you to honor the Holy One, blessed be he just as my ancestors honored him as is said the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk in Bereshit 48-50 and they replied to him we know what is in thy heart and, thy, and they declared together Shema Israel they're saying hear O Israel they're speaking to their father the Lord our God the Lord is one and upon hearing this, Israel bowed down to the bed's head and began to say in a whisper, Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And this is because this was taken from the angels. See, this phrase was borrowed from the angels so we always, when we, after we say Shema, we say Shema out loud, and then we always whisper this next phrase, except on one day. And that one day, when all of the house of Israel is like angels, we say this out loud. And that day is Yom Kippur. And the Holy One, blessed be He, said, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings, to search out the matter in Proverbs 25 2 apparently you do not possess this attribute for he that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets but he that is a faithful spirit concealeth a matter and Yaakov called to his sons scripture states elsewhere in allusion to this verse I will cry unto God most high unto God that accomplisheth it for me in Psalm 57.3 so Rav Yoshua son of Levi said the earthly court has three decrees and these are the first occurred during the time of Ezra after the return from Babylon the Holy One blessed be he desired them to release the Israelites from their obligation to give tithes what did the Israelites do they arose and decreed that they would pay the tithes, as it is said, and that we shall bring the first of our dough and the heave offering and the fruit of all manner of trees and wine and oil unto the priests to the chambers of the house of our God, to the tithes of our land unto the priests. And that's in Nehemiah 10:38. What did they do after that? They recorded this decree in a book signed it and placed it in the temple when they entered the temple the next day they found that it had been sealed whence do we know it as it is written and yet for all this we make a sure covenant and subscribe it and seal it because it had been sealed they knew that the Holy One blessed be he 
approved their decision. The second occurred in the days of Mordechai and Esther. What is written there? The Jews ordained and accepted it upon them and their seed in Esther 9.27. How do we know that the Holy One, blessed be he, concurred? Because it is written, the Jews ordained and accepted. The word accepted, kibal, is written in the singular form, thereby indicating that the master of the Jews concurred, Hashem himself. Kibal is received, like Kabbalah is something you receive. The third episode took place in the days of, of Joshua after the Israelites had entered the land. And Joshua told them, And the city shall be devoted, even even it and all that is therein. In Joshua 6.17 You find here that it was not the people but Joshua who issued the decree. But how do we know that the Holy One, blessed be He, approved it? Because it is written, Israel has sinned, yea, they have even transgressed my covenant. In 7.11 Hence the Holy One, blessed be He, must have agreed with him. And thus it is written, I will cry unto God Most High, and to God who accomplisheth it for me. And yet another example of I will cry unto God Most High refers to Yaakov. When his sons entered to receive their blessing, he began to distribute the honors among them. Whence do we know that the Holy One, blessed be he, agreed with him? So we have these three instances of where a heavenly court decided something and Hashem himself agreed. So how do we know this? From the fact that you will find that every blessing Yaakov conferred upon each of the tribes, Moshe invoked upon them later on. Therefore, the Holy One, blessed be He, must have approved each blessing. When did He bless them? As he was about to depart from this world. Hence, and Yaakov called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you. So when they come together, Yachad, they come together, and this is prophetic. This is what is going to happen in the end of time. They come together. And so he's going to tell him. Tell them. And this is in Breshit 49.1. Rav Pinchas, the priest, the son of Hama, and Rav Yehuda, the son of Shalom, asked, What is meant by gather yourselves together? It means purify yourselves, as stated in the verse. Let her be shut up within the camp seven days, and after that she shall be purified. In Bamidbar 12.14 Another interpretation of gather yourselves, he counted them as elders, as it is said, gather unto me seventy elders of Israel in Bamidbar 11.16. So why did he say to them, gather yourselves together, assemble yourselves in Breshit 49.1-2? He did so to let them realize that they would be exiled twice. He began to rebuke them, saying, Ruvain, you, thou art my firstborn. Embrace sheet 49.3 From that very moment, Israel merited, reciting Shema, 
Why? When Yaakov was about to depart from this world, he reflected upon it and said, My grandfather Avraham begat Yitzhak and Ishmael. My father Yitzhak begat me and um, Esau. Perhaps there is a blemish in my family. When they heard this, all the sons, all the twelve sons around him, they heard this, they proclaimed in unison, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They proclaimed this, and this is where it was instituted, was at the bed, the deathbed of Yaakov. Hence it is written, Hearken to Israel, thy father, in Breshit 49.2. And this, to me, adds a sweetness to this Shema when we realize this connection to the tribes themselves speaking this as an affirmation that all of them are gathered together in their unity, in their commitment to the oneness of Hashem. And this is the beginnings of the house of Israel. So now we move on to the blessings of the tribes. And this is a very, it's really interesting about how each one of the brothers had certain strengths and weaknesses that contributed to the whole of the house of Israel. Ruvain, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water, have not thou the excellency. And this is in Brashit 49, 3 and 4. You are my firstborn. You're my firstborn, the first one that I produced in my 80 years. He was 80 years old or there is even a, uh, an idea that maybe he was 84 years old. But in fact, that he was his first child. He was the first product of his, of his body. That he did not experience any kind of even emission until Ruvain was conceived. And, you, um, and so, he, my firstborn, are you like me? the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Three crowns were available to you, priesthood, kingship, and the right of the firstborn. The excellency of dignity alludes to priesthood. As it is said, and Aaron lifted up his hands in Leviticus 9.22. The excellency of power refers to kingship. As it is said, and he will give power unto his king. In First Samuel 2.10 The birthright is indicated by the double portion he receives. As it is said, by giving him a double portion. In Devarim 21.17 But you have lost them all. Why? Because you are unstable as water. And therefore, you have not thy excellency. What is meant by unstable? Pahaz. It is an abbreviation. Rav Eliezer says it is an abbreviation for you are over, you were 
overweening. You sinned. You committed adultery. Each one of these words was um, in that unstable. Rav Yoshua contended it stands for Pahatsta, you were overweening. Hasata, you cast the yoke from your neck. And Zata, you didn't, you did recoil from sin. Rav Levi reversed the letters of the word Pahaz. And the Zion stands for Zata, you did recoil. And the He for Haradata, you did tremble. And Parachet, your sin has flown from you. Another comment on Pahaz. Pasata, you trampled on the law. Kilata, you have degraded your birthright. Zar, you made yourself a stranger like water. What is the meaning of like water? If a man pours water from a flask, nothing remains. But if there is oil in the flask that is poured out, there is a residue in the bottle. Therefore, unstable like water, have thou not excellency, because you went up to your father's bed. When did that occur? At the incident of the mandrakes. Leah said, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken away my husband, and wouldst thou take away my son's mandrakes also? In Brashi 30.15 Thou defilest, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. In Brashi 49.15 He went up implies that you will be rejected until Moshe appears. And Moshe, of course, appears then and pleads that, intercedes that Ruvain will live and not die. Ruvain went out downcast. Then Yaakov began to call out Shimon and Levi are brothers in Breshit 49.5. They acted as brothers toward Dina but not toward Yosef whom they sold. Rav Simla says in reference to Ruvain it is written and delivered him out of their hand in Breshit 37.2. Hence you learn that he was not responsible for selling Yosef. Similarly, Judah said to them, What profit is it if we slay our brother? In verse 36. Now, inasmuch as these were the four eldest sons, it is apparent that Shimon and Levi must have been responsible for his sale. When they came to Egypt, Yosef looked angrily at Shimon, as it is said, he took Shimon from among them and bound him in 42.24. Hence he addressed them together. Shimon and Levi are brothers. This is Yaakov saying this. Weapons of violence, he said to them. The weapons in your possession are weapons of violence stolen from Asaph, of whom it is said, By the sword shalt thou live. In Brashit 27.40. These are weapons of violence, and violence is associated with Asaph, as it is said, For the violence done to your brother Yaakov, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In Ovadia 10. Now, their kinship, which he, he refers to, of um, 
uh, Shimon and Levi um, is a Greek word is used here. The Greeks called their sword Machirim. And this is the word that is used, is the word used here in the, um, the word is Mekorotehem. So it's a Greek word being used for the, uh, the sword of Shimon and Levi was their origin and their origin shall be okay and so this was is also very interesting that all of a sudden in the the Hebrew the Hebrew text uses a Greek word for the um, for the kinship and for the sword here so he says in 49.6 let not my soul come into their counsel this refers to when Zimri came and had intercourse with Cosby. Let my soul not be mentioned in reference to them. And that is what is said, why it is said, Now the name of the man of Israel that was slain was Zimri, son of Salu, prince of his father's house among the Shimonites. In um, Bamidbar 25.14 his name and his father were henceforth circumscribed and were not employed in Israel. Again, under their assembly let my glory not be invited. And that is in Bereshit 49.6. So then we have, that was a son of, of Shimon that is not associated with the name of Yaakov. And then we have uh, Levi when Korach assemble the people to oppose Yosef let my glory not be invited um, is what Yaakov said in his blessing uh, to the tribe that is to say let my glory not be associated with them hence the verse stated the sons of Korach the son of Kohat the son of Levi in Bamidbar 16.1 so Korach's lineage was traced back as far as Levi, but then it stopped. It was not traced to Yaakov. It does not say son of Yaakov. And it's only when Levi's sons are like this that it does not say son of Yaakov. It will go back to Yaakov when it's talking about Moshe and Aaron, son of Amram, and it will go back to Yaakov. When shall my, my name be mentioned? by the priests of the altar as it is written the son of Izhar the son of Kohat the son of Levi the son of Israel and this is in First Chronicles 6 23 for in their anger they slew a man that is in Breshit 49.6 did they slay only one man isn't it written they came to the city unawares and he slew all the males the fact is that they were all considered by the Holy One blessed be he and by them as one man as it is said and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man so as they killed this enemy it was considered like one man and also it says the horse and rider he throws into the sea in, in Shemot 15.1 so that's what it's referring to when he says one man 
Cursed be their anger. Now notice this, that he curses not Shimon and Levi, and not their tribes, but their anger. And a lot of times people make this mistake, that they say, oh, he cursed Shimon and Levi. He did not curse Shimon and Levi. He cursed their anger. So, what was the result? Shimon became the poorest of the tribes of Israel and they he scattered them. He said they shall be scattered in Israel and they ended up having to go about begging. The Holy One, blessed be he, said, but surely the descendants of Levi will also go about begging since they will not have any land apportioned to them. And what did he do about it? He caused them to obtain their food honorably. There was a difference between the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Shimon because simply because of the way they their character developed differently from the jealousy from jealousness to zealousness. The jealousy of the two brothers the the zealousness that was misused became for Levi rectified and used in a holy way and so they became the priests of Israel and he allowed them to obtain their food and their um, livelihood in an honorable way and he would say give them give me my portion therefore he said I will divide them in Yaakov so Shimon and Levi are going went out with blenched faces Next, he began to call Yehuda. Yehuda, thee shall thy brothers praise. In Breshit 49.8 Because you acknowledge your guilt concerning what happened to Tamar. So he's, he's reiterating things that have happened in the brothers' lives. Now at his deathbed. Your brothers will acknowledge you as king over them. Because he was able to make a righteous judgment, even though it could have been an embarrassment to himself, he was humble. He humbled himself and was able to make a righteous judgment on Tamar. Thy hand shall be upon the neck of thine enemies. This refers to David, who will descend from him. Thou hast made my enemies turn their backs upon me. In Second Samuel 22:41. Thy father's sons shall bow down before thee. In Bereshit 49.8 Itzhak had said to Yaakov, Thy mother's sons shall bow down. Because he only had one wife. However, since Yaakov had many wives, he said to Yehuda, Thy father's sons, he was including all the brothers, will bow before you. Yehuda is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. That is, you escaped being struck down by the son of Yosef, because you said, What profit is it if we slay our brother? In 37.26 And another comment on, From the prey, my son, thou art gone up, is concerning the episode of Tamar. You saved four souls from death. Tamar her two sons she was bearing twins and yourself 
The Holy One, blessed be He, said, You saved four lives from fire and death when you ignored the commandments. Bring her forth and let her be burned. In chapter 38, 24. Therefore, I will rescue four of your descendants, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, from the furnace and the lion's den. He called Yehuda by four different names, a lion, a whelp, and he lay down as a lion, and as a lioness, in Bamidbar 24.9. The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. Breshit 49.10 This alludes to the scepter of kingship as it says The throne given of God is forever and ever. A scepter of equity is the scepter of thy kingdom. In Psalm 45.7 Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. In Breshit 49.10 When the king will come to whom kingship belongs and this is Mashiach and concerning whom it is written, the crown of pride of the drunkards of the front shall be trodden underfoot. In Isaiah 28.3 Till Shiloh come, in Breshit 49.10, for the kingdom is his. And Shiloh, there's a play on words. It's a place named Shiloh, yes. And also, Geshlo, it's there is to him. The kingdom is to be his, the Mashiach. And this is the, this is a descendant of Yehuda. And unto him shall the obedience of the peoples be. This refers to the one who will shatter the teeth or break the power of the nations. The Mashiach. You see over and over in Psalms the prayers of David as he prays about um, breaking the power of the nations. The nations shall see and put to shame for all their be put to shame for all their might they shall lay their hands upon their mouth and their ears shall be deaf in Mika 7:16 another comment on and unto him shall be obedience of the people is Breshit 49:10 he is the one for whom the peoples will assemble as it is said the root of Eshai or Jesse that standeth for an ensign of the people. Unto him shall nations seek. Isaiah 11.10 Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. In Breshit 49.11 The vine refers to Israel. As it is said, Thou didst pluck up a vine out of Egypt. In Psalm 89 Binding his foal alludes to the holy city, Yirha Kodesh. Unto the choice vine refers to Israel, as it is said, Yes, I have planted thee a choice vine, Jeremiah 2.11. And his ass's colt implies they will build a gate for the temple. It's a play on words. B'nai Atono is ass's colt with Yivnu will build Yivnu and Atun is the fireplace of the temple. And another explanation of asses cold is that even upon a cold, the foal of asses is Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
He washes his garments in wine. Genesis 49.11 Because of the abundance of wine, his vesture in the blood of grapes. Suta, vesture, means error. As it is said, If thy brother cause thee to err, Devarim 13.7 When they err in the law, it shall be cleansed or atoned for in his territory. And heir in the law is also that Yehuda is forever. The king is also always supposed to have the Torah bound to his right arm. And he is the lawgiver. <clears throat> Wine alludes only to Torah. As it is said, for thy love is better than wine. In Song of Songs 1-2 and he has brought me to the banqueting house and his hammer over me is love in Song of Songs 2.4 his eyes shall be red with wine and this is uh, remember this is the Torah in Bereshit 49.12 you learn from this verse that he devoted himself to the study of Torah and we, we're told that David would wake up in the middle of the night and he would study Torah he studied Torah all the time. <clears throat> and then the next person, the next uh, tribe that we're going to read about is Zvulun. Zvulun and Issachar. Zvulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. Bereshit 49.13 Zvulun was mentioned before Issachar even though Issachar is the elder. Why? Zvulun is engaged in commerce, commercial activity, while Issachar devoted himself to study of Torah, and they agreed that Zvulun's earnings would be shared by Issachar. So they had this agreement between them, they had this arrangement which, in which Zvulun supported Issachar. Now the people of Issachar were very humble people, they were Torah scholars, they were also farmers. They stayed home. They were. It was in the area of the Galilee, and they stayed home. And Isaac and Zvulun went out, and they were um, sailors, and they were um, tradesmen. And they made, and they earned money, and they had this um, arrangement with Issachar. That is why Moshe blessed them. Rejoice, Zvulun, in that going out. And Issachar in thy tents. In Dvarim 33.18 Rejoice Zulin in going out to do business. For Issachar is in your tents. Studying the Torah. Why shall he rejoice? Because Torah is the tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And happy is everyone that holdeth her fast. That's in Proverbs 3.8 Therefore, Zvulun preceded Issachar. If it had not been for Zvulun, Issachar could not have studied the Torah. Since Issachar engaged exclusively in the study of Torah and was not concerned with business nor did any kind of work. Well, they were farmers, but they worked very, very... They worked in order to have the leisure to study Torah. As it is written about him, and the children of Issachar men that had understanding of the times this is a very special thing that they could discern um, the secrets the mysteries about what was going on at the time 
That's in First Chronicles 12.33. Issachar is a large-boned ass in Bereshit 49.14. That is, he bears the yoke of the Torah like an ass that bears his load, while Zvulun brings his wares in ships. Crouching down between the sheepfolds, this refers to his disciples who spread the knowledge of Torah before the wise throughout the land. As it is said, When ye lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of the doves are covered with silver. In Psalm 68.14 For he saw a resting place that was good. Genesis 49.15 And this refers to the Torah. So, he was the one who would study the Torah and he bowed his shoulders to the yoke of the Torah and became the servant under this task work. This task work refers to the law. Study the law. Whenever the people erred in the law, they would seek a decision from him. But this is, as it is said, the princes of Issachar were with Devorah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the depth they rushed forth at his feet. In Judges 5, 15. For he would search deeply into the law. And many of the sages of the Sanhedrin in these days were from the tribe of Issachar because they were scholars of the law. Dan shall judge his people like one of the tribes of Israel. Like one signifies that like Yehuda, he was one of the most distinguished of the tribes. Another explanation of like one of the tribes of Israel, he was like the unique one of the world who requires no assistance in battle. As it is said, I have trod the winepress alone. Isaiah 43.3 Samson, who descended from Dan, needed no assistance from others. As it is said, with the jawbone of an ass, I have smitten a thousand men. In Judges 15.16 Dan shall be a serpent on the way. Brashit 49.16 all animals travel about in pairs, but the serpent goes about alone. And just as a serpent is vengeful, so too was Samson. As it is said, I may be this once avenged for the Philistines for my two eyes. That's in Judges 16:18. When Yaakov saw him, he exclaimed, I wait for thy salvation, O Lord. In Bereshit 49:18. In fact, Yaakov even thought that it was possible because he saw Samson that this was going to be the Mashiach of all the tribes. And Samson is a very tragic character. He had a lot of fine attributes and he was a judge in his day. But he had a lot of failings too. And so he was a very tragic character and died a very very tragic death. God, a troop shall troop upon him but he shall troop at the end that's in Brashit 49.19 that is to say the redeemer who will come at the end of days will descend from God for he was one of the last to come and behold I send you Eliahu the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord in Malachi 3.23 and Eliahu was descended from God 
the tribe of God. Hence it is said, But he shall troop in the end. And Eliyahu, we know, this uh, is the one who heralds the end of time. As for Asher, his bread shall be fat. Bereshit 49.20 That is, his daughters shall be beautiful. For it is said, For my daughters make me happy. Bereshit 30.13 Blessed be Asher above sons. Let him be favored of his brethren. Dvarim 33.24 Because of his daughters. He shall yield royal delight. Bereshit 40.20 His daughters shall be worthy of kings. Hence, Scripture says, Who clothed you in scarlet with other delights. Second Samuel 1.24 And the one person that really is the only one, one of the main people who is mentioned of the tribe of Asher is indeed Asher's daughter, Sarah. And like I said, we're going to talk about her when we get into the book of Shemot. Now, Tali is a hide let loose. Bereshit 49.21 This refers to the valley of Gennesaret, which it has early crops that ripen speedily, just as the hind rides, runs swiftly. He giveth good words, for his land is blessed. As it is said, O oh, Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessings of the Lord. Nevarim 33.23 they would serve their fruit to kings while speaking guardedly so that if they were ill disposed toward them they would they would be reconciled now what's interesting about naphtali and the area of naphtali becomes naphtali is naphtali is also talks about running and returning and this is something that is also a form of prayer of running and returning and Naphtali is very close to the word Tafila, Naphtali, Tafila. And the area of Naphtali actually has the city of Sfat, which is a city that is known for mysticism. And um, this uh, Tafila, for prayers, special kinds of prayers. And then we say Yosef. Yosef is a fruitful vine and he doesn't seem to go into this at this time in Bereshit 49.23 because of Apara he was exalted and this is referring to the cows of um, the dream of Para Benyamin is a wolf that raveneth Bereshit forty nine twenty seven. Scripture states elsewhere, For the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his counsel unto his servants, the prophets. In Amos three seven. At first he revealed his counsel to those who feared him. As it is said, The counsel of the Lord is with them that fear him. In Psalm twenty five fourteen. Later he disclosed it to the righteous, as it is said, but his counsel is with the righteous in Proverbs 3.32 finally he revealed it to the prophets concerning whom he said but he revealed his counsel to the prophets in Amos 3.7 
All acts of the righteous are performed through inspiration of the divine spirit. When Yaakov blessed Yehuda, he likened him to a lion. As it is said, Yehuda is a lion's whelp. He thus coupled him with the kingdom of Bavel, of Babylon, about which it is said, the first was a lion in Daniel 7, 4. Hence, Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah fought against Babylon. He also coupled Yosef with the kingdom of Edom. Rav Shmuel, son of Nachman, says, There is a tradition that Esau will be subjugated by the descendants of Rachel. As it is said, surely the least of the flock shall drag them away. In Jeremiah 49.20 Moshe coupled the tribe of Levi with the Macedonian or Greek empire the Hasmoneans were descended from the tribe of Levi. The third tribe, and Greece, was the third empire in Daniel's vision. The word Levi in Hebrew has three letters, consonants, and similarly the word for Greece, Yavan, has three letters. One sacrificed oxen, and the other wrote with the horn of an ox but one had no share and did not believe in the God of Israel. One was numerous and the other few in number. Moshe saw them and blessed them. Bless Lord his substance. In Tvarim 33.11 He pitted Binyamin against the kingdom of Midiah. And thus Mordecai, who was of the tribe of Binyamin, exacted retribution from it as it is written and behold another beast a second like a wolf in Daniel 7 5 this alludes to the kingdom of Midia which he turned against the tribe of Binyamin which is compared to a wolf as it is said Binyamin is a wolf that raveneth embrace sheep 49 27 what is the meaning of a wolf that raveneth? Just as a wolf seizes its prey, so the tribe of Binyamin seized its prey, as it is said. And see and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then ye will come out of the vineyards and catch you every man a wife. This is a long story about when the tribe of Binyamin had lost many of it, it had lost many of its people because of the war of the other tribes against the tribe of Binyamin and all the tribes had agreed that they would not allow their um, their daughters to marry the tribe of Binyamin and then they regretted that vow that they had made and so when the daughters the virgins came out to dance at Shiloh and it's really interesting I thought of this as I would ride by the vineyards of Shiloh the men of Binyamin were hiding and they they came out and they each one um, came and caught um, a girl to be his wife and hence just as the wolf seizes its prey hungrily so did the men of Binyamin seize the girls so that they would have wives because all of their wives had been killed in the book of Judges it is written concerning Ehud and Ehud made a sword that had two edges 
And this indicates that he would have a, a share in the two worlds because he had studied the law, which states two-edged sword in his hand. Hence, he was privileged to enjoy the fruits of this world and hereafter. He went into Eglon and said, I have a message from God unto you thee, and rose up out of his seat. And that was Judges 3.20. And the Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, You honored me by arising from your throne. Be assured, I will cause your daughter to rear a son who will sit on my throne. And this refers to Ruth, the Moabitess, from whom Solomon descended. Solomon sat on the throne before God as king. And this is First Chronicles 29-23. Uh, what is written about Ehud? Ehud put forth his left hand and took the sword from his right side and thrust it into his belly. In Judges 3.21 In the morning he devoureth his prey. So Ehud was from the tribe of Benjamin. And it alludes to the fact that he thrust the sword into his belly and at even he divided the spoil refers to the land which he took as spoil. Binyamin is a wolf that raveneth. This refers to the fact that his land produced early crops. Hence, in the morning he devoureth the prey, at even he divideth the spoil, refers to Betel, where the fruits ripen late. Binyamin is a wolf that raveneth, also refers to Saul. For in the morning he devours his prey, as it is said, so Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all of his enemies on every side, against Moab, etc. In 1 Samuel 14:47, And at even divide the spoil, Saul died and his three sons that same day together. In Samuel 31:6. Hence, at even divided the spoil. Another comment on Binyamin is the wolf that raveneth. This alludes to Queen Esther. In the morning he devoureth the prey, and the king and Haman came to a banquet. In Esther 7.1 And at even he divided the spoil, for he hung Haman. Verse 10 And after that is written, And on that day the king Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman to the Jews' enemy and to Esther the queen. Eight, one. Another explanation of Binyamin is the wolf that raveneth. It alludes to sacrifices. In the morning he devoureth the prey. The one lamb shalt thou offer in the morning. In Shemot twenty nine thirty nine, and at even he divided the spoil. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at the evening. This verse also refers to the altar. Though it extended only a cubit's length into the territory of Binyamin, the flame did not depart from his land, and this was in fulfillment of the verse. He covereth him all the day. Devarim 33.12 So these are the tribes of Israel and the blessings. These are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is Brashik 49.28 Twelve princes he begot. These are the numbers of the tribes, and the world is arranged according to that number. There are twelve hours in the day, twelve hours in the night, 
Similarly, there are twelve planets, twelve months in the year, twelve stones in the aphod. The, the twelve um, planets means these constellations. Therefore, all these are twelve tribes. Rav Yohanan said, Where there actually are only twelve tribes, were there only twelve tribes? Does it not say Ephraim and Manasseh shall be as Ruvain and Shimon, making fourteen in all? The answer is that when Levi is counted among the tribes, they are not counted. And when Levi is not counted among the tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh are reckoned as one tribe. How do we know this? It is written. Of the children of Yosef, of Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Manasseh, Gamliel, and this is in uh, Numbers 1.10. Hence, all these are the twelve tribes, no more, no less. Similarly, Rivka foresaw that there would be twelve tribes, as it is written, and the, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two peoples shall be separated from thy bowels. Reishi 25.23 This eludes, this equals four. The one people shall be stronger than the other. This adds up to six. The elder shall serve the younger. This makes eight. When her days be delivered were fruitful, behold, there were twins in her womb. This makes ten. The first came forth, and after that his brother, totaling twelve in all. There are others who determine the number of tribes from Rivka's use of the word ze, or thus. The letters in this word equal twelve arithmetically. That's the gematria of ze. When the children struggled together in her womb, she cried out, Must I suffer like this twelve times? Since the Holy One, blessed be he, has told me that twelve children would descend from me, then she said, If this be so, wherefore do I live? And that's verse 22. And this is that their father spoken to them and blessed them. Breshit 49.28 Scripture does not say he blessed him, but rather he blessed them. Why is this so? Because he attributed to Yehuda the might of a lion, to Yosef the power of an ox, to Naphtali the swiftness of a hind, and to Dan the sting of a serpent. You might argue that one was superior to the other, and so he spoke to all of them at one time, at the conclusion of the blessing, as it says, Everyone according to his blessing blessed them, because he divided the land among them, giving Yehuda the soil that would yield barley, and to Benjamin the land that would produce wheat, he coupled them in his blessing so that they would share each other's crops. Hence, Scripture says, And this is that their father spoke to them, unto them, it is not written here, but rather to them, lechem, thus indicating that their father told them, In the future a prophet will bless you in a like manner. Where I leave off blessing you, he will begin. And so Moshe did so, as it is said, and this is the blessing wherewith Moshe, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel. 
Devarim 33.1 Moshe said to them, I shall reveal to you now when you will attain these blessings. At the time you accept the law, as is said, and this is the law, in 14.44. Thus the very words with which Yaakov concluded his blessing, Moshe began to bless them. When when Moshe said, I learn understanding from my elders, in Psalm 119.100. When Yitzhak blessed Yaakov, he said to him, And God Almighty bless thee, in Breshit 28.33. How did he conclude his blessing? With the word call, as it says, And Yitzhak called Yaakov and blessed him. And Yaakov began where his father had ended, as it says, and Yaakov called his sons, in Breshi 49.1, and continued, and this is what their father spoke to them. When Moshe blessed the tribes, he began where Yaakov left off, as it says, and this is the blessing, and he concluded with, Happy art thou, O Israel, in Devarim 33.29. Later, Davi began where Moshe concluded, saying, Happy is the man. In Psalm 1.1, hence scripture states, I learn understanding from my elders. And another comment on this is that their father spoke to them and charged them and said, I am to be gathered to my people in 49.28-29. He said to them, if you are worthy, you will be linked to me. They will be called the sons of Yaakov. But if not, when I depart from this world, I will ascend to my father's. Immediately upon his passing, his sons did unto him as he commanded them. Embraced 50.12 What did they do? They embalmed him and carried him away. As what is written there, and they came to the threshing floor of thorns. Is there such a thing as a threshing floor of thorns? This verse alludes to the Canaanites who took crowns and placed them about Yaakov's buyer. What is more, when they saw Yaakov's buyer, they removed their girdles and paid homage to them, to him. Rav Shmuel, son of Nachman, said, they undid their shoulder knots, and Rabbi declared, they pointed to the coffin with their fingers and exclaimed, This is grievous mourning of the Egyptians, in verse 11. Therefore the Holy One, blessed be He, gave them a circle within the threshing floor of thorns. All of the crowns they laid upon the buyer were like thorns. And He made a mourning for His Father seven days, in verse 10. How do we know that mourning lasted seven days? Our sages stated, We know it from the verse, And ye shall not go out from the door of the tent of meeting for seven days. In Leviticus 8.33 Why are there seven days of mourning? To correspond with the seven days of feasting. And the Holy One, blessed be He, said, In this world, you grieved for this righteous man for seven days but in the world to come I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice 
from their sorrow. And that's in Jeremiah 31.13. And I will comfort Sion and its vast places, as is said, For the Lord hath comforted Sion. He hath comforted all her waste places, and hath made her wilderness like Aden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and voice of melody. That's Isaiah 51. And when Yosef's brothers saw that their father was dead, in Breshit 50.13, what did they see that frightened them? As they were returning from the burial of their father, they saw their brother go to the pit into which they had hurled him in order to bless it. So this is where we get that we go to a place that a tragedy has happened to us and we say a blessing to Hashem that he, tra- he saved us out of this place. And he blessed the pit with the benediction, Blessed be the place where he performed a miracle for me. Just as any man is required to pronounce a blessing at the place where a miracle has been performed in his behalf. When he beheld this, they cried out, now that our father is dead, Yosef will hate us and will fully requite us for all the evil that we did to him. And they sent a message to Yosef, saying, Thy father did command, so shall ye say unto Yosef, Forgive. In Breshit 50, 15-16. And we have searched the entire scripture and were unable to find any place where Yaakov uttered this remark. So this statement is introduced to teach us the importance of peace. The Holy One, blessed be He, wrote these words in the Torah for peace alone. So that they they came to Yosef and they said, Our father said, and he didn't say, Oh, I don't believe it or something like this. He accepted it, but he cried. He cried that they would think that he would do them harm, that they didn't understand and so he made peace with his brothers ultimately and that's when they knew absolutely that he had forgiven them once and for all in fact let's just read that and it's interesting that this chapter is called the life of of Yaakov and then after that of course we, we read that Yosef binds his brothers to a promise to take him out of the land of Egypt so that they will bear his coffin out of the land of Egypt. It's his brothers that he he requires this promise of, not the children, although this is passed down then from the brothers to the children that they will take the coffin of Yosef out of Egypt. And this becomes a very important um aspect of the people of Israel leaving Egypt in the future he didn't just ask his own sons he asked his brothers his brothers owed it to him because they had sold him into Egypt and so although he was not going to going to seek revenge at them because of what they did he had forgiven them but they did owe him this that they would bear his body out of Egypt, his bones, and this became an obligation of 
that they passed down to their children that they had to take his body out of Egypt and bury him in the land of Israel and actually this land the land that was given to Yosef was given to him by Yaakov in Shechem and, and that is where he was buried so we've kind of gone a little bit over time but does anybody have any questions we covered a little bit more than the Parsha in order to have all of the story together and I have always enjoyed the Midrash Tanhuma and I wanted to share that with all of you so if there aren't any questions I'm going to um, end tonight and we will see you next week and thank you for being here